Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. The police budget is going to get another looking at tomorrow in a special meeting. And prior to that, Ward 2 Councillor Cameron Kretsch has come up with some ideas of some ways that some money can be trimmed off the police budget. You heard about it on the news a few moments ago. I want to bring in John Best. He is the publisher of the Bay Observer uh, to chat about this. John, how are you today? Doing well, thanks. This is, look, I, I am someone who I think pretty consistently, people who listen to the show regularly understand, I am someone who consistently applauds efforts to find savings for the taxpayer. So I am not upset with Councillor Cameron Kretsch coming up with ideas to try and find savings on the police budget. I don't have a problem with this. I think this is what should be happening. No, exactly. Um, you know, the only uh, caveat uh, I would have is it looks like they've gone through this police budget with a fine-tooth comb, and uh, one would love to see a councillor, especially him, uh, go through with the budget that he's responsible for at City Hall with the same kind of scrutiny. Well, I was going to say that, John, because it, it seems as though there has been real effort to find meticulous little things in this one and similar things that I would look at in the city budget seem to have slid through or gone the other way. Well, you know, they want to cancel the uh, retirement parties for, for, you know, it's not a big ticket item, but uh, the the one thing that that is similar to um, the, the approach that council took to their own budget is it's going to rely heavily on uh, drawing down reserves. So almost half of the $5 million that he's talking about saving is going to come from just uh, pulling it out of reserves. And, you know, whether it's the city reserves or whether it's the police reserves, you know, there comes a point when those reserves are drained, and at that point uh, we start looking at real dollars instead of, uh, you know, sort of fanciful dollars. And, you know, if you take a look at this, at the, you know, it's all happening at once, the police budget, and two days later, the city budget. But, you know, we're, we're talking about a 7.9% increase, and we're, we're arguing over how much of that the province is responsible for. But what we're really not talking about is the 3 or 4% that is being covered by basically dipping into the piggy bank mm. that's over and above the 79 so there's a lot of money getting pulled out of um, savings, and I guess the impression is that some, you know, the future will look after itself. Uh, again, I, I'm for the idea of finding savings, so I don't want to make it sound like I am down on Cameron Kretsch, uh, Councillor Kretsch, for coming up with these ideas. But I'm with you. I I, I do wonder why the pencil was sharpened so strongly for the police board. For example, they said, well, let's get rid of the police choir and the police pipe band. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're going to do that, and I again, I'm okay, if that's, if that's something that is going to save a lot of money or save some money, okay. But at the same time, we're pushing hard for the city to hire an official poet. Shouldn't we say, well, let's, let, let's do both. If we're going to get rid of one, we should be automatically, if we're going to sharpen the pencil this strongly for the police budget, let's do it for the city budget too. Or e-bikes or uh, $60 million for bike lanes. Yes, uh, yes. There's so, there's so many of them uh, that are being supported by the same councillors that, um, uh, that are going after this police budget. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's not, uh, there's a little bit of hypocrisy here, quite frankly, in in the approach. But you know, the reason is that Cameron Kretsch is not a fan of police, and he's gotten himself on this board to create mischief. There's no two ways about it. He's he's going to do everything he can to make uh, the police uncomfortable with him, and uh, I think we have to recognize that fact and. You know, we, we've got another problem on the police board that uh, Councillor Pauls is on the police board, but she can't vote on any of this stuff because she's got a son working for the police. And, you know, my thought is uh, if you can't vote on the most important thing to do with the police, which is their budget, then really it calls into question why she's on that board. I think she should consider resigning so she can be replaced by somebody that can vote on the most important item on their agenda. This is the week that the city's budget should be finally done. It could be delayed, but they're planning on getting it done this week. And John, you had a really interesting and very, um, I thought, kind of funny, I don't know if it was intended to be funny, but I took it as funny piece in the Bay Observer this week about the fact that Council and the, and City Hall and the folks, I guess, who are doing the figuring there have pulled some clever accounting and have now essentially whittled down the city's contribution to our tax increase, whatever that will ultimately be, somewhere a little less than 7.9%, that essentially we've now whittled down what the city's uh, impact on that is to not 14%, not 8%, not 5%, less than 1%. I'm not following. Uh, Nor am I, but uh, that's exactly what the latest uh, uh, draft of the budget says. So just just to go back, when when the the budget was first presented, the the 7.9%, at that point we were being told that 2.7 of that 7.9 was the province's fault, and that was going to go on the tax bill so that the public could see that, you know, what the province was doing to us, uh, which would leave roughly 5% being, uh, you know, the city's increase. And then um, on the, I think somewhere around the 19th of January, the mayor said, well, when you take into account all the things that the province really should be paying for, uh, our, our share is now down to 2 point something percent. And then in the latest, the latest uh, iteration of this budget, they're now saying that the city's really only responsible for 0.8 of 1%. And my comment was, well, why don't we wait a few days instead of passing the budget this week? We might be able to get the city down to zero. <laughs> or less, or, or negatives. Or, or negative, you know, where they have to send us money immediately. I, so I, I don't get it. It's, um, to me, it's all posturing. And um, frankly, the public doesn't care when they see uh, stuff like uh, bike lanes, when they see uh, $3.9 million to fix up somebody else's facility for uh, an entertainment facility, when they see councillors increasing their own staffing, uh, they, they, you know, you can fiddle around with a tax bill and and put a line on it, but uh, nobody's being fooled by this. Um, stuff that council added to this year's budget, the one that's being considered, is adding something like 90 bodies and uh, uh, amounts to about 2.7% of the 
total increase. So, you know, that was also contained in the same budget that had this 0.8 business. But it's, but John, it's, it's actually, that's not exactly right either. And I'm not taking issue with what you're saying, but they've actually spent an awful lot more than that. It's just being camouflaged by the reserves that are being drawn upon. So it, it actually, the idea that the city is putting out here that says, well, we're, act, we're bringing in an increase, we're causing you an increase of less than 1%. That's, that's not even remotely close to accurate. No, that's right. Because they, they've gone into the piggy bank for, I think this year, something like $150 million. So if you actually look at the budget documents, the increase in spending, I think, is over 10%. So that's the actual increase in spending. Uh, so yes, you're right. Uh, by drawing money out of reserves, yes, it, it won't be impacting this year's tax bill, but you know, when those reserves are gone, uh, you know, at that point we'll have to start paying for things with real dollars. And, uh, I think it's going to mean some big tax increases down the road. Well, are they not essentially setting a giant booby trap for the next council? Because the next council may not, they won't have all those reserves. They will be cleaned out. So we're going to have to spend, as you say, real dollars. Is the next council not waiting for a landmine to be stepped on? I'm afraid it is. Uh, I I think it's, uh, I I, I sometimes get the impression that this council, uh, now that they've been in for a year and some of them been in for, uh, you know, longer than that, uh, some of the like-minded councillors, I think they're starting to realize that the public is getting very angry. And it almost feels like a, a you know, Second World War kamikaze mission where let's get as much of this stuff enshrined so that it can't be reversed because we may not be around after the next election, but let's, let's get as much of it you know, sort of set in stone as we can. Uh, I don't know if that's the case, but it's starting to feel like that because... Uh, you know, when we're we're sitting down considering a budget uh, with with this kind of increase, and and just at the same time talking about frivolous projects, uh, it's it's hard to believe that these people are serious. Well, I, I go back to what we talked about before the break. If we are looking to shave, I think the number was in one of them nineteen hundred dollars. Uh, was one of the, the, the things that was highlighted to, we can save $1,900 from the budget on the survey monkey license from the police budget. If we're going that deep and yet then we can't f- see the spending on, as you say, a concert hall or other things that are just totally unnecessary right now on the city budget, uh, it, it doesn't seem like it's all that serious. It just doesn't to me. Well, they're even going to cut their cable TV. They they don't want them to have cable TV. So, uh, you know, uh, cable TV is hardly a luxury item, especially in the business they're in. It allows them to monitor what may be going on around the area, uh, breaking news, that kind of thing. Um, it's hard to, you know, it seems like I'd be embarrassed, frankly, to put that on a list of cuts. It seems so petty. Well, there's one other thing as we get back to this police budget. I just want, we only have a minute, so I just want to jump in because one of the suggestions, and it was on our news that if people were listening, one of the suggestions was that we could defer some hirings of police and look to attrition to try and bring some numbers down. And as you just mentioned a moment or so ago, though, the city is doing nothing of the sort for itself. It's looking to bring in an additional 90 people. We have now a few bodies or will 
by th- if, if these hirings go ahead, we will have in this city a few bodies short of 8,000 employees. Surely, yeah, that's... surely we could do with a city, when I say we, the city could do with a little attrition. Could it not? And we could still get the same thing. If the police can do it, why can the city not do it? Well, uh, hard to say, but uh, you're you're spot on, Scott. I mean, the, it's just it's almost ludicrous to see the 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 diversity between what's being proposed for the police budget and what these folks are doing, uh, what Kretsch basically is doing uh, as a counselor. It's uh, we'll see. We'll see. This is going to go in front of the police board uh, tomorrow, and we'll see what they do with this. It's uh, I don't. I truly don't know what the answer might be. We'll find out tomorrow. Uh, That is John Best. He's the publisher of the Bay Observer. Always love having you on. John, thanks for doing this. My pleasure. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. You know all about the $10 a day health care that the federal government rolled out and then got the provinces to support. It was a huge discussion. There was, you know, the whole story behind it. Well, It appears anyway, or there are suggestions, I guess, that this is not going quite as swimmingly as had been hoped. The number of kids, according to Statistics Canada, who are in daycare has actually dropped by 118,000 across the country since 2019. Well, at a time when you would think $10 a day, healthcare, hey, every, everybody gets to put their kid in a, health, in a daycare, not healthcare, daycare, pardon me. At a time when everybody should get to put their kid in a daycare, fewer kids are in daycare. And a lot of people, a number of people are pointing to this and saying the reason is there just aren't enough spots. Places when they now have to provide this are shutting down because they can't service at that fee, all those kind of things. Is this a political situation that can be fixed? Is this something that was misjudged? Is this something that we're just going to have to spend billions more on? What do we do with this? Uh, Dr. Lori Turnbull is a professor and chair of public and international affairs at Dalhousie University joins us now. Thank you for doing this. Of course. Thanks for having me. uh, You're welcome. And thank you for coming on. This is, um, this is one that a lot of people, young families, especially were really excited about because a lot of them were paying a whole heck of a lot more than $10 a day. And so this was, you know, a real money saver, but I think it's probably fair to say that any, what was your, your parents probably said the same thing to you that my parents said to me, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. This almost sounded too good to be true. And now it may be showing itself to be that way. No. Well, like, I think there, there was possibly a sense that because Quebec, for example, was able to provide seven dollar a day care day daycare for a long time there was almost a sense that they were borrowing from a policy that was set out in a province and saying we're going to support the expansion of this policy to other provinces so i think they s- sort of thought you know it's not it's not so much that it's too good to be true it's that's actually doable but of course the the issue is the the implementation the details right like the idea is is much easier to accomplish than the actual figure it out on the ground and make sure that every family is getting access to this. But if you're going to make it so that, um, so that everybody can get this, you have to have the bodies, you have to have the people to do the work. You have to be able to have the salaries to pay for the, there's a lot of, it's, as you say, it sounds easy. There's a lot of parts to putting this all together to have all these spaces available for all these kids now. 
Oh, 100%. And that's part of what I understand is part of the federal government's agreement with each province is that, right? It's not just about the supply of the availability of the daycare spaces. It's also about creating um, the conditions whereby people are, are skilling up to be, do this work and to create incentives to do this work. And so it's not just about like, again, like it's, it's, it's not just saying like, look, here's the spaces. It's also about the program is about creating the whole infrastructure around it, which is going to take a period of time. And it, that's not necessarily built into people's expectations, right? Like the, they're, they're actually trying to make sure that the provinces to receive this money are saying, look, we're we're going to make sure that there are things in place to, to ensure that people are getting the training, that they're coming into this line of work. And that those are big pieces, and those are longer-term pieces. And the, the other thing that I think is faced here is that taxpayers, whether it's federal taxes, provincial taxes, municipal taxes, are feeling pretty tapped out right now, not just by taxes. Life has become so much more expensive. So you've got, on the one hand, everyone yeah. saying, I need $10 a day daycare because life is so expensive. I need my kids there. And yet at the same time, the cost that we yeah. would be having the province have to incur to put enough money in to make this work as seamlessly as it was supposed to be means bigger taxes. So you're getting hit either at the front or at the back, but either way you're being hit. Yeah, and I mean, like when the federal government announced this plan, there was certainly never, never a price tag attached to it, right? Like they never said, like, look, this is going to cost you something. It was more like, this is what we want to do. This is this is part of the the Justin Trudeau brand. This is presumably part of his legacy. This is a big piece for them, and so they never put it up there as saying like people are going to have to pay extra for it. It, it was always put up as a this is something that we want to do, and this is something that is is part and parcel of the kind of country we want to build this is this is totally plugged into their growing the middle class right like because if you have a family where the two like the two spouses are working and the kids are in need of care and you get to the point where it's like it makes more economic sense for somebody to stay at home because the cost of child care is through the roof and it's it's actually more expensive for us to both work that's crazy like nobody wants to be in that and that's that doesn't make any economic sense and so i think they were trying to plug into that but yet now they're they're on the kind of the push of the delivery side of it where it's like is this actually working out and how much time is it going, is it going to take mm. to build the pieces in place where the infrastructure for the the child care is in place even though the promise is there for the ten dollars let me go back to something you just said because i find it fascinating i think you're 100 percent correct when you said something to the effect of, well, people weren't expecting it was going to cost them anything. And I, I'm always yeah. fascinated by that because nothing is free, especially I don't expect that daycare providers are philanthropists who are doing this out of the goodness of their heart. This is their job. This is their livelihood. How did we go, how do we go into any of these programs, whether it's this or pharmacare or universal this or universal that, how do mm. we go into any of these with this idea? Oh, it's never going to cost me anything. That is that not the height of naivete? Well, I mean, everything costs us. It's, it's more of a question of whether it's going to cost us more. And so it, I think the way the liberals have always put this out as though is has been, we are going to do this. We're going to pursue this program. We are going to rejig childcare in a way that everybody is going to have access to $10 a day. And they've never attached a, ta a tax hike to that, for example, right? So we, we pay. We're taxpayers. We pay. We don't get anything for free. Absolutely not. But the the way that they've come about the the way that they've communicated it has never been with an extra price tag to it and so i mean they're not doing that now either 
But I think when we see the kinds of back and forth we're having with the NDP, for example, around dental care, pharma care, it's like, okay, how, how much can we load on this without them expecting us to pay more? Who then, okay, so the, the, the federal government came up with the idea, they negotiated with the provinces, the provinces came on board. By most accounts, it hasn't worked as well or as easily as was thought. So is that the fault of the federal government for not getting more of this put in place beforehand? Is this the fault of the provinces for not funding it sufficiently? Who, who holds the blame for where we are right now, if there is blame? That's always a tough question, right? Like, I mean, the provinces are all kind of coming to the provincial, coming to the federal government, sorry, coming to the federal government saying like, you know, here are our needs and and the federal government holds most of the fiscal power. And so the, the provinces are always in that kind of vulnerable position, on, vulnerable, vulnerable position on the one hand of saying like, we don't have as much fiscal capacity, but we need these programs. And there are so many things that are assigned to the, to, to the provincial governments by virtue of the constitutional allocation of power. The provinces are on the hook for all these things, but the feds have more power in terms of money. And so there's this constant back and forth and the blame game goes on because nobody is really 100% responsible for anything. Everybody is just kind of negotiating and figuring it out and dealing with political pressures. And, you know, it's the same thing with healthcare, for example, like when the provinces are saying, look, we, we know we're responsible and we're trying to provide more, but we need the federal government to kick in the money. And then you end up with this political hot potato where nobody's particularly satisfied with the outcome. And so I, I think that this is something that if, if it matters to people, is this your issue? Is childcare something that you're going to press your provincial or federal government on? And if so, what is it that you want and what is it that you're not getting? That's going to be the key. And I'm not sure necessarily that this is going to be top of mind for everybody. I think that there are other issues. I mean, the liberals would put this out as something that they're doing to combat the affordability crisis, but I'm not sure that that's where people are sitting at, at this at this point. I think that there's lots of other things that are factoring into the affordability crisis. It's a fascinating discussion because I, we got to run, unfortunately. I wish we had a lot more time. But th- again, the idea, everybody, I think most people would love for this to work and would love for it to work sure. well and to benefit from it. But I also don't believe that people right now have an appetite, as you just point out, when you, how much can you stack on and, you know, the federal deficit is huge. The debt is huge and growing. Taxes are already, you know, at people, I I just don't know how much more people say I'm willing to accept. Although for some, as you say, $10 daycare is cheaper than whatever tax hike you might get. So it's, 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 It's boy, it is complicated. Uh, Dr. Lori Turnbull, always love having you on. Thank you for the time today. Thank you, too. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. As I say, Don Robertson looking uh, still tanned, back from vacation. How was it? Great. Anytime you're away and you can wander around in a pool, which was frightening for a lot of people, but I did it anyway. We talked about you on the air wandering around in the pool. And I imagine. Who was in? uh, Steve Foxcroft. We're talking about how you probably were wearing a leopard skin thong and... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so is there anybody still listening? Well, there, there was uh, may, many appointments set up at vision clinics. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. It was called Bahamar. And uh, Susan and I went over to Atlantis just to look around. And uh, both cab drivers said that the place we were at now was considered the nicest place in the Bahamas. And that's not why we picked it. It just looked pretty cool and Price was reasonable and much better than Atlantis, but boy, I mean, there's got to be 50 pools there. I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, it was 
hundreds of rooms. It's, I mean, what they do, the bad part is you can't buy anything all-inclusive. No? No. And uh, they're pretty good. At, we'll just throw this 15% service charge on and a 10% um, resort tax. Yes. So everything's plus 25%, and it starts too much. Like the price of everything starts too high. Uh, you know me, I didn't drink, but I did see a guy ordering a Bud Light for twelve fifty U.S. Yep, there you go. Well, uh, well, I'm glad you had a fun time, and I'm glad that you're now back good. and you can uh, sell 40 or 50 homes to pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Don, by the way, if you don't know who Don is, uh, I don't know who you might be who doesn't. Uh, Don is the guy who runs the Dundas Real McCoys and ComChoice Realty in Dundas and the 2014 Dundas Citizen of the Year, and we're anticipating the 2024. We haven't heard anything about 2023. Who won that? But well, last time we won an Allen Cup, I won it. Did you? We won the Allen well, Cup maybe. in 23, but I haven't heard from them. Yeah, well, we'll see. Well, I haven't heard who's won it this year, so maybe it is. Maybe they're just keeping it a big secret. Uh, I'll tell you what. We were coming home yesterday, and we're on a pl- on the plane, and the plane takes off, and we could hear some rattling in the compartment. Let, let the, what do you call it? The, where you put your bag above yep. the... And there was obviously a loose bag and something was just going. Well, all of a sudden, about three minutes later, after the seatbelt sign has come off, this airline steward is standing beside me because the guy behind me has pressed the bell and is convinced that it wasn't from the luggage rack above us, that it's the outer shell of the plane that has cracked and we're all about to plummet to our fiery death. And he's, and so the steward is like, did you hear any giant cracking noises? And I'm like, no, I heard a little clacking of some rattling, bags, yeah. rattling, but no, I'm not convinced the plane is about to pull a, what was it? A Columbia or a Challenger that, you know, and, and we're all, and yet this guy was convinced. You have an awful time getting to New York to land. This guy oh, was a- convinced. He was absolutely convinced that we were about to die. They should have let him out. Well. I'll tell you what, though, it is slightly disconcerting yeah. because I'm thinking, I didn't hear any of that, but. Maybe he's on to something. What did he hear? And now, honestly, I, I, like I got over it, but for the next 10 minutes, I was listening for any noise at all, <laughs> thinking, are we, is this it? Are we done? <laughs> but no, it, we were, we made it. We were okay. All right. Um, want to get it? We got a bunch of big things to talk about today, so I'll let you choose where we start. Do we start with Morgan Riley and his looming suspension, or do we start with a Super Bowl? What would you like to do? Um, Super Bowl is good. Well, I am fully at the end of my. I don't know, tether, what's the word I'm looking for? The the talk about Patrick Mahomes as the greatest quarterback of all time, which has just reached ludicrous levels. Patrick Mahomes wasn't even close to being the best player on the field. They gave him MVP, which was a farce. Chris Jones, the defensive end for Kansas City, was by far the most impactful player in that game, by far. Is it just that they, is it just that people need to have a simple, straightforward narrative to follow? Is that what, is that what this is? Cause Patrick Mahomes was mediocre at best as he has been in most of the Super Bowls he's been in. He was mediocre at best. He lost two Super Bowls to Tom Brady and now is somehow being compared to him. He's still four Super Bowl wins behind. Kansas City did not win that game yesterday because of Patrick Mahomes. They won it because the defense was outstanding. But I don't understand, I'm really struggling to understand how 
we have to simplify this to simply being Patrick Mahomes won. He didn't win. The defense won. He came along and helped win to some degree. Well, they, didn't, they didn't score a point in the first quarter, which tells you a lot about... And they had three at the half. ...him coming out um, and lighting a fire under anybody. Um, and natural-born quarterbacks are pretty good at doing that. They find a way. But the the Americans and the Super Bowl and the NFL are all looking for heroes. They like to put somebody up on their shoulders and carry them around. And it's not that sexy to put a seven-foot-tall defensive end on your shoulders and carry them around. And they want everybody, and this happens all the time, um, Tom Brady, who might be um, the best quarterback to ever play the game. He might be. Stats would suggest that there's nobody better. Um, <clears throat> but Bob Greasy was considered one of the absolute very best. Uh, Fran Tarkenton was the best ever. Um, who was Terry in, Bradshaw was the best ever at his time. Yeah, and, and who was in? Who was playing for the 49ers when they were winning? Joe Montana. Joe Montana. So if you notice, there's a real trend that it just has to be the quarterback that is the best player on the field and in on the planet at any given time. See, I mean, the fact that he got MVP, I didn't put too much stock in yesterday because honestly, I figured, I believe still the media votes for MVP. And considering half the media who were there were covering Taylor Swift and work for Entertainment Tonight and have probably never seen a football <clears throat> game before. And Patrick Mahomes is the only guy they'd ever heard of. It doesn't surprise me. It was either going to be him or Kelsey. But since Kelsey did almost nothing, you couldn't give it to him. Well, he yelled at his coach. Yelled at his coach. Um, I don't. I just. I, I. I'm just amazed that even people who seem knowledgeable in football have somehow fallen for this complete recency bias and forgotten every other player that's come before. And yet, you know what? I'm not. Look, I'm not saying Patrick Mahomes is a bad quarterback. He's a very good quarterback. I'm not. I'm not suggesting he's a bum. That's not it at all. But the idea that somehow they won because of Patrick Mahomes, I, I would argue, Don, and I say this absolutely with absolute sincerity, I would say there would be 10 quarterbacks in the NFL, at least, who would have won that game playing for Kansas City with their defense playing the way they did, at least. And a bunch of them would have won by more. Josh Allen would have uh, had a heyday there because he's a big, strong guy. He could have done some things that other guys can't do. I, I See, I, I would argue Josh Allen, they don't go to overtime because they win before overtime. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and, and flip it around. And I've, I've tried to have this discussion with a couple of people. Flip it around. If Patrick Mahomes is the reason they won, does that mean that if Patrick Mahomes had been playing for the Buffalo Bills, that the Buffalo Bills would have won that Super Bowl? that the Buffalo Bills would have beaten Kansas City. If Josh Allen was on Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes was on the Buffalo Bills in that playoff game, by logic, you have to believe then mm. the Bills win that game and go on to mm. win the Super Bowl. Hey, if you're going to flip them around, I would suggest that Josh Allen playing for Kansas City, if you're going to flip them, they don't go to overtime, as you pointed out. They've already won this thing, probably before the fourth quarter starts. You see, when when you talk about MVPs in uh, series or games, I'll go back to my natural sport of hockey, you're likely looking at either the leading scorer in the playoffs or the top uh, goaltender, right? Um, well, it's easy to see. Yeah, I understand that. But that's, that's the kind of the go-to spot to pick 
who is the best player in the playoffs. When in actual fact, it may not be. It may it may be the guy that was good enough to shut down Connor McDavid and hold him to six points in the finals, which would be a tremendous effort by any center playing a defensive role who would get zero, zero votes and very little recognition because that's just traditionally not the way sports go. They like the fancy and they like the sexy, and that's generally where they go. And in the NFL, the quarterback is generally the sexy guy or maybe a wide receiver running back if he gets 200 yards, right? I'm just looking down the list right now of Conn Smythe Trophy winners to, to, about your point, and probably the last guy who falls into the category you described, the not sexy guy, the person that was most valuable but doesn't have the biggest point totals or the goalie, you may have to go back to 1981 with Butch Gorey. It's been that long yeah. since, because I mean, everyone 20, 40, after- 40, 41 years, 43 years. I mean, everyone after that, maybe Claude Lemieux in 1995, maybe, but he was still putting up a bunch of points that year. He was still, yep. so, but even then, that, that's still, you're talking 30 years. But that's how they're picked. Because it's easy. And, and, that, and it's the media that picked them. I, look, I don't, I don't dispute that. I, I years ago, uh, the Hamilton Hamilton Bulldogs games, whether it was AHL or OHL, uh, years ago they used to have the media pick the three stars, and I stopped participating largely because more often than not, it was just who scored the winning goal. He got first star because half the people would, and and no. the person could have done nothing. They, they, there were times when. And this happens not just here. I mean, look, it happens everywhere. But they've got the second and third star picked out, and the first star is whoever scores in overtime. The person could have done absolutely nothing all game. He could have been the worst player on the ice, and suddenly he's the first star. And, and I mean, look, it's, it's in, a, in a Tuesday night game in January, who cares who the three stars are? Yeah. But with the Super Bowl MVP, this is the stuff that legacies and re- resumes are based on. Well, they but they they probably gave it to Mahomes because of the uproar if they had given it to Taylor Swift. <laughs> well, they probably wanted to. Yeah, it's. Um, I don't know. Well, I, I we'll see. I, I just I I don't. Uh, for Super Bowls, it was a pretty good football game. See, I would say that it was First a half, lousy football game until the last ten minutes, maybe. Maybe 12 minutes. And the overtime. Well, uh, yeah, uh, and the overtime. But it was, we, we seem to go in, in, in waves here where we rarely have, and somebody might correct me on this one, somebody might point to the year when it wasn't or the years, but it seems that we either have a great Grey Cup, which we had this year, yep. and then a not-so-good Super Bowl, or a tremendous Super Bowl and a Grey Cup. Well, Grey Cups, I would argue, are traditionally far more exciting than traditionally, Super Bowls. Traditionally. Super right? Bowls have gotten better as the league has become more offensive-minded. But yes, yeah. you're right. But it's, yeah, I, I don't know if it's a field. I don't know I don't know what it is, but you can kind of count on the Grey Cup game being a pretty good one. Usually. And it has yeah. been for a lot of the time. And even, as I say, like the last two years ago, 
three years ago in Hamilton when Hamilton unfortunately lost in overtime, but that was an exciting game. You go yeah. at home into overtime against Winnipeg, and but for a drop pass in the end zone, you win. Yeah. Uh, and, and last year, what did they score? Was it 12 seconds left? Something like that that Montreal Close. scores this yeah. year? So, yeah, it's, it's, but I have to go back and look and see when was the last great Grey Cup and great Super Bowl in the same year. For whatever reason, it just doesn't, it doesn't seem happen to happen all that often. It's one or the other more often than not, it seems. We'll see. It's, um, I, I, I do think the NFL though is, uh, uh, the NFL, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't believe that the whole thing was rigged. Like a lot of people apparently even still do, or that Taylor Swift was a paid performer to date Travis Kelsey until the end of the thing. And then she could mosey on. I don't believe in it. It's amazing. The stuff that's on right. social media, but boy, does the NFL have horseshoes that this worked out the oh, way it did. Are you kidding me? There was a great thing on, um. Uh, Social media with Taylor Swift is uh, uh, whispering in her boyfriend's ear saying, I wished you played hockey. <laughs> what did you think? Okay, so y- you've been a coach for a long time in, a lot in, in hockey. If a player, superstar or not, does what Travis Kelsey did and you were the coach, do you just say, yeah, it's good, it's all fine? Or do you say something about it? And for those who don't know, he came up and he bumped his coach, but he almost knocked him over and was just screaming at him in his face. Are you okay with that in a high-pressure game? I am, actually, because I think that um, it means he's into it. It means he cares. It means he doesn't agree with what you're doing. But at least he cares enough. He didn't go down. He didn't go sit on the bench and sulk. He's saying, put me in, coach, because I can make a difference. Now, I'd probably turn around and say, if I thought you could make a difference, you'd already be in. (laughs) Yeah. But the coach, I mean, I've done that before when guys get annoyed at on the bench and kick the boards or slam their stick or something. And, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll call them out. doesn't happen very often. It happens once every three years, but it, it can happen. And the biggest thing you have to do on the bench is if you're wrong, you have to say you're wrong. Mm. I would suggest that it's probably for Travis Kelsey's reputation – really good that they won that game. Ooh, yes. Because yes. that becomes the storyline, I think, of the whole Kansas City season. That becomes the storyline if you lose that game. Well, there there will be people that make an argument that believe he's got too big for his britches. That's what I mean. Yeah. That, that, that all ties into it, that that becomes the... You think you can do anything because you got Taylor Swift sitting in the box. You know yeah. the interesting thing is, though? Like if I own Kansas City or I'm the GM, I'm going, I'm getting rid of him. He will never embarrass my coach again. And the owner is saying, if he's dating Taylor Swift, he can do whatever he wants. I mean, there's suggestions that, that, that Taylor Swift brought a monetary value to the Kansas City Chiefs of in excess of $350 million. I don't know how they do that arithmetic, but I'm sure that there's a lot more young girls wearing Kansas City T-shirts and football jerseys than ever before. So how much is dis- is detracted or is excised from the Kansas City Chiefs when they inevitably break up and she writes songs about how horrible he a person he is? And all those same Swifties well, they just have, they burn flee and burn all their yeah, sweaters that's what they're doing. and then refuse to ever watch a Kansas City Chiefs game again. And uh, yeah, we'll... 
We'll see. I, I, I don't know why I, I'm so skeptical that this is going to last. Maybe you it's... You don't think they're getting married and... Oh, they may. Going through town in a chariot and having kids Maybe. and rose petals? But I just, you know... Not forever. His, history would suggest that it, they don't always last. She's done very well selling albums based on the fact that boyfriends have given her plenty of fodder to write about. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm not completely sold that, you know, when Travis Kelsey gets together for his 50 year reunion with his Kansas city chiefs buddies, that Taylor Swift is going to be at his side. Maybe I'm cynical. I don't You're know. You're a bit pessimistic. I, I'm, I'm just. With lots with lo- <laughs> Just reading the tea with, leaves. With lots of history to su- suggest you could be right. You know, I just, we'll see. We'll see. But, uh, you know, look, I'm not rooting against them. Who, who wants to root against people being happy? I mean, that's not, uh, but I just, I, I'm, I think I'm a realist, a not a dubious. pessimist. A little, there's a good word, dubious. I like that one. Yeah, that's uh, slightly dubious. All right, Don, so we all know uh, what happened with the Leafs on the weekend. At the end of the game, the Ottawa player goes in on an empty net and takes a slap shot from two feet out, and Morgan Riley takes exception and throws a cross check that I don't think anyone disputes is a suspendable offense. I don't think anyone says that nothing should come of that. I think everyone acknowledges that there's a suspension coming. Question is, what kind of suspension? And I'm reading on Twitter, uh, Terry Koshan from the Toronto Sun, quote from Sheldon Keefe, the Leafs coach today, uh, asked about the in-person hearing, which means probably more than five games, six or more. Surprised. We spent a lot of time watching every cross-check that's happened in the last number of years, and the ones I thought were similar in nature to Morgan were nothing close to requiring that. But at the same time, there's history. There's also a history of events that happened in Toronto and with the Leafs that get more attention, more hype. That tends to lead to something such as this. So I'm not surprised, but it's out of our hands and we'll be ready to play tomorrow. So let's go there first. Do you believe that playing in Toronto where there's all the attention, all the sports networks, all the media, that it becomes a big story. Do you believe that impacts what the penalty the Leafs players get when they do stuff like this? I don't think it should, but I believe that there, it probably does have some influence on it. Um, so I if th- it happens in Arizona where four people are watching. Yes. I don't think it's as big a deal, and that's wrong. And yet the Leafs are universal, well, almost universally described often as a soft team, not a mean team, <laughs> need to have more grit, whatever. They are now, or they will be after this, the most suspended team under George Peros as head of discipline in the NHL. Well, they are not the Broad Street bullies. There's no question about that. And uh, there is no more Broad Street bullies anywhere in hockey, but they are not that. And I... I'm not surprised, I guess, but generally speaking, tough guys don't react that way. Um, I don't think you would ever see Ty Domi ever do something like that. Well, so the one that comes to mind for Ty Domi, I don't know if you remember this one, years ago, he was slashed in front of the Rangers net by Ulf Samuelson. And he dropped him. And he dropped him with one punch. And I think he got like eight games for that or well, something. It was a sucker punch. Yeah. But he did punch him. And anyway, when you get four million minutes in penalties like Ty Domi, I guess there's going to be the odd incident. My my take on it would be if Ty Domi was still playing, 
then there's not much chance that, that would have been his reaction. And had uh, Morgan Riley went over and pushed him and dropped his gloves and started to fill him in, even if the guy doesn't bounce back, I think he gets an extra game for being the instigator. Here's, so here's, here's cross-checking the, a guy in the head is not... There's nobody, Don, I don't think... That's not tough hockey in my mind. I haven't heard anybody suggest it's not worth a suspension. The, no. real, the real story or the real question here, and, and oh, he'll Sheldon, get suspended. Sheldon Keefe alludes to it in this quote about you know looking at all the other cross-checks. I, I saw today on social media dozens of examples in the last few years, while George Peros... Uh, guy who's the head of, allegedly head of player safety, although uh, uh, that's the most oxymoronic title possible because uh, I I truly believe that the NHL's discipline system is the most ludicrous in any sport anywhere. Nobody has a clue what is suspendable because guys, there, there was a, uh, one earlier this year, I think it was the Rangers player or Minnesota took a two-hand baseball bat swing and clunked a guy in the head and got a fine. And now Riley is in for an in-person hearing to get six games for this. Like, so again, it's not that he doesn't deserve a suspension. It's that nobody in the NHL seems to know what is going to be the result of this. Everything is all over the place. George Peros, I, I don't mind. To me, he is horrendous at his job. If you have, if you have an entire league that is confused by what your department is doing, you're bad at your job. Unless that's a goal. Why would that be the goal? Well, it shouldn't be. But if it is, you're accomplishing it. Yeah, you're right. But, you know, uh, to speak to uh, uh, Keith Marks, Sheldon Keith is trying to position uh, Morgan Riley that history will show that he doesn't deserve a suspension and we've done this and we've done that. He is speaking directly to the National Hockey League. He's not talking to anybody else. He's talking to Perot. Yeah, he, to Paris, wants yeah. it, he wants him to believe the poor leaps and there's a lot more worse things going on in the hockey world than what uh, what happened Saturday night, and you better pay attention to that. Don't forget what happened a couple of years ago. Uh, the New York Rangers spoke out about George Perro. So you've got the Leafs now who are saying, we don't know why this is happening. The Rangers, another one of the original six power teams in the league, were uh, Tom Wilson of the Capitals um, punched, I can't remember which one of the Rangers, and in their statement, they went through the whole thing about George Peros, and they say, we view this as a dereliction of duty by NHL head of player safety, George Peros, and believe he is unfit to continue in his current role. I mean, I th- there comes a point, I think, when the NHL can say, we don't care what the teams say. But when enough teams publicly come out and criticize, like I, if I'm the Leafs and they, and if they truly believe that what they're saying, that we have seen numerous examples of cross checks and other acts of violence or whatever you want to call it, that are worse than this, that didn't get this kind of attention. If you truly believe that you're the Leafs, you have endless money. I would absolutely now go to town and do what the Rangers did and say George Peros is horrible. The NHL is worse for having him. He doesn't know what he's doing and he should be removed. And the Toronto Maple Leafs will, you know, whatever. They always, Don, they always take the route of saying, well, you know, it hasn't worked for them. 
No. Jason Spezza had no suspension history and gets six games for his first one on a bad hit. Uh, Nazem Kadri gets kicked out of playoff series for a bad hit. Austin Matthews, no suspension history, gets two games for the cross-check here in Hamilton in the outdoor game against Buffalo. So, so what... Uh, the suspension business and being the head of uh, player safety is like referee in a hockey game. Like, I... You know, the way I judge referees, being a former referee, is I judge them on what they call. I don't judge them on what they don't call because there's penalties on absolutely every play. It's the standard you set to start picking them. You know, what's what's a slash, what's a high stick, and so on. Sometimes they have to rein it back in. So it's just, it's that standard, right? Because they're all penalties. Morgan Riley, what he did is a suspendable offense. It is. Of course There's it no is. no question about it. But you have to judge that the way Sheldon Keith has against other incidents that have happened in a very similar manner. So if you can make a strong argument that these six hits, very similar to what Morgan Riley did, are similar, and they got three games, why do we have an in-person hearing? You can't exceed You can't exceed three games based on the standard that you've set. Now, I don't know what they look at, and I don't know it. Some, some like this was after the play. Like, it wasn't during the game. It wasn't during the play, right? And it was kind of like a submarine coming up on you. It, he didn't, Riley didn't seem to be yelling and screaming at him like he was going to conk him one. And all of a sudden, the guy got rubbed out. I mean, he maybe should have been paying attention that somebody's pissed at me here because he seems to be coming after me. But it wasn't, it wasn't a sneak attack, but you had to suspect something was coming. But it was kind of innocent. It was. Oh, he knew. He knew he was trying to be an agitator. At oh, that he was point. a hot dog. And so he knows that someone is going to take. You know, he may have thought it's the Leafs. They're not going to do anything. Yeah. But here's the thing, and I, and I appreciate your point when you say about you know how you judge a ref. The difference between a ref and George Peros right now is that George Peros has the luxury of replay after replay and time. A ref has to call it in the moment. Yep. George Peros can look at all these and. Again, I go back, I, I have, I, I've watched today probably on social media, I've probably watched 15 things that people have posted of similar or comparable or in the ballpark things. And there is literally no rhyme or reason. There is literally, Don, I mean, I, you, Kale McCarr, was it last year in the playoffs? Uh, Jared McCann, Seattle, crack and scores a goal celebrates, skates into the corner, very similar. Kale McCarr, the star defenseman for uh, Colorado, decides, you know what, he's going to finish his check and absolutely drills him from behind into the boards. Now, it wasn't a cross-check to the head, but it was, a, it was a hit that hurt the guy, and it was Seattle's leading player, and he got one game. And so, okay, so the, the stick didn't come up, but the intent to injure was there. The, the, uh, the effect was the same. And if, well, even you, if you say one game in a playoffs is worth two, again, I, I, it's not about lobbying for Morgan Riley. It's about saying, how is there no continuity in this? Well, it's a hard standard. And when you, when things start circling the drain, you're in trouble and, uh, he will be, uh, he will be judged 
the judge will be judged, and if he, if more teams share the Rangers' positions, the owners are paying the bill. They're paying Gary Bettman. They're paying Bill Daly. They're paying all of the staff, and they will get the final say if everybody thinks they're being done untoward. I've never understood, quite frankly. I mean, th- look, this goes. This isn't just George Peros being bad at his job, which I really believe he is. <laughs> this isn't. This goes higher than him. This is an NHL problem because I can't, for the life of me, understand a league that decides the person we're going to be putting in charge of discipline is a former goon whose whose job it was to go and punch people in the face, and somehow he's the best guy that we have to have. And if anybody, if anybody. Like, uh, my argument would be, you don't need to have a former player. You could have a panel of three people who look at this who aren't even involved in hockey necessarily. Unless, unless you need to have the code of hockey as part of the consideration. All right? If you need to have the understanding and the code of what happens on the ice as part of the consideration, then there should be even less reason for Riley to have been called in because the code would say that what the Ottawa player did brought this on to some degree. That's so if you don't care about the code, don't put a goon as your def, as your discipline guy. Just bring in three people who can watch this independently and say here's what the penalty is. Did you hear uh, one of uh, Sheldon Keith's uh, responses when asked after the game what he thought of it and he said I thought it was appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I I would love I would finally love to see Brendan Shanahan, who has been, like the only time you ever see Brendan Shanahan now is at the end of the year after another disappointing playoff loss when he comes out and says, I have faith in this team and we're behind I For all the money that he's being paid, whatever it is to be president of the Maple Leafs, once come out and spend some of that money by absolutely tearing a strip off the NHL. I know you're buddies with Gary Bettman because you used to be George Peros. That was yeah. your job. But you, Brandon Shanahan, of anybody then should have credibility to say George Peros doesn't know what he's doing. So are you suggesting that Brandon Shanahan went from doing George Peros's job to the president of the Toronto Maple Leafs and there's little chance that George Peros is going to be the president of an NHL team? I don't know. I mean, he went to Princeton. He's not a dumb guy. He just does his job badly. because, And when I say he does his job badly, because there is nobody fan or apparently member of the hockey league or whatever who has any idea what he's doing from play to play, from incident to incident. I think he does have input, though. I mean, I think there are other people in his department that he doesn't just sit downstairs and put it on the big screen and say, I think this will be funny. Watch this. Like, I, I think they have input from other people. Of course they do. And uh, but he's 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 the guy that makes the final call without question. If his if the NHL Department of Player Safety, which again I think is a hilarious title, if that was a business with shareholders, would George would George Perro still be president of that company? Yeah, probably not. Here's one that I've I've found, and I think we've talked about it over the years, is someone gets hurt on a play like that, and the player is whether he's concussed or whatever, crack ribs or whatever, and somebody gets a lengthy suspension, and then and then they appeal the suspension. 
Well, one of your members just got whacked pretty good. Like it's it's always been an odd thing for me for um, to defend the guy that gets a long suspension against a guy that got hurt. Yes, it's kind of an odd setup. I mean, it is what it is, but well, they don't they don't defend them all. We'll see what happens with Morgan Riley. I'm I'm so the longest suspension this year was six games. I'm. I believe that Morgan Riley is going to get eight because of the thing that Sheldon Keefe said at the start. It's in Toronto. There's tons of attention on it. Lots of people have seen it. The NHL has to take a stand and make a statement and show they're serious. I think he's going to get eight. That's 10% of the regular season. Yeah. Wow. I would be, it wouldn't surprise me one bit. And I don't believe for a second that they're going to go below the six that was the previous one, which was a similar situation, but I, I we'll see. Again, you're setting that benchmark now. I see when you do it to somebody in Toronto, because they're in Toronto, because of what you alluded to, the sports network, hundreds of reporters. It that doesn't matter when you set that bar of Morgan Riley's suspension, deferring to your potential eight games. If that happens in Phoenix now. It's an eight-game suspension. No, and that's the point. That's that's the whole problem. But that's but that's when the Toronto Maple Leafs got. That's when they step in and say this is BS. Yeah, it's exactly the same. That's when they call them out. They can get mad about this one, but they have to use the next one as an example and saying you gave our guy double for what they did. That's when you mouth off. But the in my mind, the argument. Oh, we got to run. The argument always is well, they're not one and one are not the same. Nothing is ever exactly the same, but. Anyway, it, we'll see. We'll see. Tomorrow apparently is the hearing, and uh, we'll find out. Thanks for doing this. Thank you, Scott. Your, uh, your tan added an aura to the whole proceeding. I'm was, sure. Yeah. Yeah. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.